Philippians chapter 3 this morning. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. The title of this message is simply No, and you'll understand why as we work through it. Philippians chapter 3, let's start reading in verse 7. Paul the Apostle, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious gospel which we just read. That when you died on the cross, you died in our place for our sins. And that in a very real way, we died with you. That when you rose from the grave, we might rise as well. That we might live as you live and that we might live with you. We thank you for the beauty of this, the mystery of this, the wonder of this truth. You became sin that we might be made righteous. Lord, we ask this morning that you would burn the benefits of the cross into our hearts and minds. That we wouldn't miss the goal of the cross, which is knowing you, enjoying you, and loving you. That we wouldn't be a people who are caught up in religion. But we would be a people swept up in relationship. That this morning, Jesus, you would woo us. You would wow us and awe us into a deeper place of knowing you. Lord, I confess that I feel humbled and inadequate to stand in this place this morning to talk about knowing you while my desire is to know you so much more. And my confession is that I don't know you enough. And we ask that you would help us. We ask the Holy Spirit, you would come and you would preach to us the person of Christ. That we'd be brought into a deeper place of intimacy with the Godhead. Accomplish this work in our midst. Save us from church this morning. Save us from religion. Bring us to Jesus, Holy Spirit. We pray in his name. Amen. 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 Well, last week we talked about an interesting dynamic of prayer, and it was this, that God often forces prayer or the need to pray into a situation 
because prayer brings us to him. Catch that. We see it throughout scripture and we experience it throughout our lives. That God often forces prayer or the need to pray into a situation because prayer brings us to him. Prayer changes things, yes. Prayer changes us, to be sure. But at its core, prayer brings us to Jesus. Prayer is an expression. It is an experience of the relationship that has been won for us through the cross. And so God forces prayer and the need for prayer into our lives in so many ways. And what we discover God is doing in that is he is drawing us into himself and then sending us out into the world. He draws us into himself. Transformation takes place there. And he sends us out to the world. We framed this with the terms centripetal and centrifugal last week. There's this centripetal thing that's happening. We're being pulled toward the center, which is Christ himself. There's a centripetal action in the Christian life. He's always bringing us near, bringing us in. And then there's the centrifugal. He's pushing us out into the world as transformed, empowered representatives of his love and his gospel. And this is a constant motion in the Christian life. And it's sort of a fluid motion. It's not as though it's always an either or. Sometimes there are seasons where we're just being pulled deeper in to the heart of Christ. Sometimes there's seasons where we're being pushed further out into the needs of the world with Christ. But usually it's a constant and a fluid thing, this continual action of being drawn in, centripetal, and being pushed out, centrifugal. And what is most important, what is central, is that as Christians, we make sure that we are always being yielded to the centripetal. That, that inward pull of Christ upon us. That bringing of us to Christ by and for himself. As Christians, we, we need to cultivate the awareness of that. Be active about the action of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to Christ. It's the most important thing. It's the central thing. We let Christ draw us near. We purposefully draw near. And that we, as the people of God, learn to enjoy God. There it is. That we learn to enjoy God. This is so sadly missed within Christianity today. The central thing is that we learn to enjoy Jesus. And the more attention that we pay to that centripetal action, that, that, that drawing in by the Holy Spirit into the heart of Christ, the more attention that we pay to that, the more that we'll learn to enjoy Jesus, the more time that we spend near him. And maybe what we need to do is identify that centripetal action. What does that look like in our lives? 
How does that take place? How do we experience God bringing us near, pulling us near to himself? I, I think there's a sense in which we experience that intangibly and tangibly. Maybe we start with the tangible. I, I think it's tangible in scripture. I think we read the word of God and it's an invitation to come to God. I think if we don't read it with those eyes, we miss something. I think that when we open the book, we need to hear the author of the book say, come away with me, my beloved. I think we need to cultivate ears and a heart that hear that frequently. The God of the Bible saying through the Bible, come away with me, my beloved. I think the Bible is an invitation. It's a love letter that beckons us, that draws us near, and it's there in every page. Every page it's there. Jesus drawing us near. And it's tangible. It's in black and white. And then there's the intangible. There's a mysterious work of the Holy Spirit upon us, in us, bringing us near. And one of the problems is that we create so much noise in our lives that we seldom hear the Holy Spirit. We create so many distractions in our lives that we seldom sense the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I'm talking about? We create so much noise in our lives. We, we do everything that we can to fill every waking moment with activity. I think it's easy for us to drown out that intangible yet real voice of God. But if we would stop to listen to the Lord, to seek the Lord, to wait on the Lord, I think we would find that he's been waiting on us. Maybe it helps us to identify some of the yearnings that are in us. I think that all of us experience a longing that is only satisfied by God. And, and I think that longing is there in, in the pre-Christian life before you come to Jesus. And I think it's there in the Christian life that that longing continues. And it's only satisfied by the person of Jesus. But I think we often misidentify this longing. And this is where we try to, we find ourselves trying to fill it with so many other things. There's this longing, this restlessness, this sometimes even dissatisfaction. And we've gotten so good at catering to that with all that is available to us. I mean, we can hop online and be on the other side of the world. We can see the most beautiful images that, that creation has to offer. We could see the outer extents of our galaxy. We could see pictures of other galaxies. We could fill our hearts and our minds and our eyes with all sorts of entertainment and tantalizing things and sounds and tastes and experience. And we could hop on a plane and in 12 hours be on the other side of the world. And we've made our relationships so fluid within this culture. We've made our relationships about us. As long as it's working for us, okay, good. When it's not, relationships are fluid now. I'll move on to another one. I don't need to be connected. I don't need to be committed. And so we've devised all of these ways to deal with the dissatisfaction 
the longing and the restlessness that is manifest in every one of us when we ignore the centripetal action of God in our lives. Him drawing us near. When we don't heed that, when we don't draw near to the person of Jesus. And so we need to identify the counterfeits and the substitutes. In my own life, it's, it's easy for me to identify the counterfeits and the substitutes. My heart's been so stirred for the Lord this week. And, and so many times I misidentified that stirring. And, and so I want to kind of, you know, do something. There are all sorts of things that I would do. But the Holy Spirit was reminding me, what, what I'm doing is I'm calling you to me, not to this other stuff. Just come here. Just come here for a minute. Have you ever had a kid who's in the developmental stage where they don't just run to your arms anymore when you just open them up? You know what I mean? It happens, you know, my kids are eight and five. And uh, my son, he's eight years old and he's gone back into this phase of no matter where I am, I just go like this and he'll come running. My Daisy love though, who's five, she's in a stage where she's like a cat. You know, you know how cats are <laughs> real kind of fickle with their love and real persnickety about it sometimes, you know what I mean? Sometimes you're just the greatest thing on earth to your cat and other times they're just disgusted and just turn their rear towards you and lift up their tail and just... You know what I mean? I hate cats. I absolutely hate cats. Unapologetically. But sometimes, you know, kids are like that. When, when, when it used to be that you just went like this and she would run into daddy's arms and I get as many kisses as I can. I find myself begging now for kisses sometimes. And in the same way, I think in some of our lives, God is begging for kisses. His arms are open like they always were, and he's saying, why don't you come anymore? Why don't you come anymore? And the Apostle Paul here in the book of Philippians is saying that the most valuable thing he knows of is knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. We need to realize that the gift that's been given us through and in the gospel is God himself. God is the gospel. The gift that has been given to us is God himself. What happens through the work of the cross is that God gives us himself in love. Isn't that part of what we do when we're in love? We give ourselves when we're in love and we're committed. We give ourselves wholeheartedly to that other person. In the cross of Jesus Christ and through the gospel, God gives us himself. He is the end goal. He's the gift. This is a, a part of marriage. You know, as a pastor, one of the things I have the privilege of doing frequently is weddings. And part of the wedding ceremony is exchanging of the rings. And a, a lot of people cast the rings in different lights and speak poetically about what the rings mean and so on and so forth. But when I'm doing a wedding, I, I always remind the two people that as you exchange rings, it's symbolic of the exchanging of your lives. They, they represent your life and they're, they're made of precious metals and perhaps jewels and that your life is precious before God and before man. And when you give this ring 
to your bride. You're saying to her, my life is no longer my own, but I give it to you. And when you give this ring to your groom, to your man, you're saying, my life is no longer my own, but I now give it to you. And this is part of what we do in the expression of love and commitment. We give our lives to another. We give ourselves. And I have them place that ring halfway on the finger of the other person. And they say, this ring I give to you in token and in pledge of my love and my life. And I say to the other party, if you accept this token of his or her life and love, then receive the ring now. And they bring their hand over and place their hand upon the others and they slide the ring on together. And they each do that. And there's an exchanging of lives represented symbolically by this ring. What has happened in the cross of Jesus Christ in the gospel of God is that God has given us himself and he calls us his bride. And he's given us a ring, a token, a pledge in the person of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament says that the Holy Spirit is the token, the pledge, the promise of God's committedness to you and I because of his love. Greatest gift that you can give to your spouse is yourself. Greatest gift that God could ever give to humanity is himself. And that's exactly what he did in Christ Jesus. And this passage is telling us that there is nothing better than knowing Jesus. Paul says it repeatedly, that I might know Christ Jesus in verses eight and in verse 10. And when he says no, I don't think he means merely intellectually. I don't think he means merely theologically or theoretically. When he says no here, I think he's talking about experientially, relationally, that he might actually know the person of Christ not just the doctrine of Christ, though that's important. Not just the theology of Christ, though that's necessary. But the person of Christ. He's not talking about an intellectual agreement, but a real experiential relationship with the God of the universe. You see, nothing else will satisfy the thirsty heart of men and women but Christ himself. And we often substitute that with all forms of religion, whether it's church attendance or ministry that is done or reading your Bible, all good things, but none of them a substitute for Christ himself. Only Christ satisfies. The physical analogy would be the thirsty body of a man or a woman who comes to the well, and the well is well built. It's deep, and it's lined with rocks, and it's solid. But the depth of the well itself isn't going to satisfy, and the rocks itself that it's built out of won't satisfy, and the bucket itself won't satisfy. Only the actual water will quench and satisfy the thirst of the human body. Christ himself is the water. 
Doing ministry won't satisfy. Going to church won't satisfy. Keeping the rules won't satisfy. Only Christ actually satisfies. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He had kept all the rules. Now he was interested in Jesus himself. Jesus himself said in John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God. This is eternal life, knowing God. Peter said this in 2 Peter 1.3, God's divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us. The true knowledge of him who called us. Not mere intellectual knowledge. Not theoretical, not merely theological. True knowledge. The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. Many of you know that. The word used here by Peter is epinosis. Some of you know that. It goes beyond mere intellectual knowledge. It means clear and exact knowledge. It's more intense than knowledge itself. It means that we're participating in the object of that knowledge. It denotes a thorough participation on the part of the subject, you and I, in the object, Jesus Christ. It's not knowing about Jesus. It's not saying the right things about Jesus. It's not believing the right things about Jesus. It's experiencing, truly knowing Jesus, participating in the life of God. God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge, epinosis, experiential, clear, exact, participatory knowledge of Jesus Christ. So then what we realize is that salvation, being born again, is not an end but an inception. For now begins a glorious pursuit, A.W. Tozer writes. The heart's happy exploration of the infinite riches of the Godhead. You see, when we're saved, when we're born again, it's not the end. We haven't arrived. It's the beginning. It's not where we say, oh, okay, hooray, hurrah, and hallelujah. I'm done. But it's the inception. Hence the metaphor of birth. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Being born is never an ending. It's always a beginning. It's the beginning of life when you're born. And so when we come to God through Christ, we begin the adventure the pursuit, the exploration of getting to know him. It's a lifelong journey. Birth is always a beginning. And where we go awry, where, where we go a, a wrong way, is when we're satisfied in the birth and we neglect the growth. Not growing in the grace and the knowledge, the experience of Christ Jesus. What this passage is telling us today is that actually knowing him is greater than anything else this world has to offer.
There's a difference between the way the Roman centurions knew Jesus and the way the apostle, uh, excuse me, John knew Jesus. There's a difference between the way the Roman centurions knew Jesus and the apostle John knew Jesus. There are a couple Roman centurions who knew Jesus. One was there when Christ was crucified. And it says in Matthew 27 that when he saw the manner in which Christ died, and when he beheld the earthquake and the sky darkening and all these other things, the centurion said, truly this was the son of God. He had the identity right. He knew who Christ was. There was another centurion in Matthew chapter 8 who had a slave that had fallen sick and he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I want you to heal my slave. And he said, and Jesus, you're powerful. I know you command all things. I understand that. You just say the word and he'll be healed. You don't need to come. These centurions, in a way, they knew Jesus. One of them had the identity right, for sure. This is the son of God. The other one had the power right. You can heal my servant. But neither of them knew Christ like John knew Christ. At the Last Supper, John is the one who's reclining on the chest of Jesus. His head is in the bosom of Christ. He goes beyond the identity. He goes beyond the power and he connects with the person. He's concerned with the presence. He's as close as he could be to the actual person of Christ. And he's called in that gospel, the one whom Christ loved. And what's denoted in that picture of John reclining on the bosom of Jesus is intimacy. There's no other way to picture that than intimacy. I mean, if any one of us were to put our heads in the chest of any one other in this room, it would be an intimate thing. For most of us, it would be weird. <laughs> if I did that to another man, it would be very strange. Yet John did that with Christ. We have a picture of intimacy. And that picture is beckoning us this morning. Again, it's the tangible word of God saying, come away with me, my beloved. This wasn't a moment 2,000 years ago for one special guy. But it's meant to be the reality in this day for every guy and every girl. That intimacy of relationship with Jesus. John was caught up in that centripetal thing. Jesus drawing him into himself. What happens in salvation is that we are brought near positionally so that we can then experience Christ personally. What happens in the cross is we're brought near positionally so that we can experience Christ personally. Our position in Christ is that we are sons and daughters of God, right? Through the cross, we become sons and daughters of God. Through the cross, we are risen with Christ, positionally speaking. We're identified with his death. We're identified with his resurrection. 
Our position is that we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ, Ephesians 1. Our position is that we are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. Our position is that we are members of the body of Christ. Now I want you to note that every one of these positions is personal. Sons and daughters of God, risen with Christ, seated with him, indwelt by him, members of his body, that every one of these positional things that we preach and we proclaim and we stand upon are personal things. And we fail when we leave them as positional and we don't move into the personal. It's the tangible black and white word of God saying, come away with me, my beloved. A.W. Tozer says, our position in Christ should be literally fulfilled within the heart, not merely accepted within the head. We want to move beyond just knowing that we're forgiven, though that's important to really lay hold of that, that we are forgiven. We want to move beyond just knowing that we are forgiven. We want to move beyond just knowing that we're going to heaven. Though that's wonderful and that's part of our hope and our inheritance. But we want to know why we are forgiven. And we want to know why we're going to heaven. We are forgiven so that we can experience God. And we are going to heaven so that we can be with God. We're not forgiven for forgiveness sake. Not in and of itself so that we can say, oh, I'm so glad I don't feel guilty anymore. It's a part of it. It's a fringe benefit. It's not the heart of it. The heart of it is Christ himself. We're not going to heaven so that we could just be over the drama of this world, but rather so we could be in the presence of the person of Christ. There's a really big difference between those two things. Something I've been thinking about this week, I've been reading a book called uh, God is the Gospel. Angie gave it to me by John Piper. We carry it in our bookstore now. I've been reading it for a few weeks. He asked this question in it. He says, quote, if you could go to heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauty you ever saw, all the physical pleasure you ever tasted and no human conflict or natural disasters, could you be satisfied with that heaven if Christ were not there? Man, that's rocked my world this week. Because the right answer is no. But the common answer is, I'm afraid so. I'm convicted by that question because I find myself so often making life and Christianity about other things rather than Jesus. And what Paul is saying in our text today is that Jesus is life and everything else is loss. In comparison to knowing him, everything else is meaningless. Christ is to be experienced and enjoyed, seen and savored. It's that return to the garden where God was present, tangible, experiential, 
personal there. The cross returns us to that place. And, and admittedly now, this is a pursuit. Admittedly, it's not easy. What we find is after the birth, we need to pursue God. But isn't this true of any love relationship within the human realm? Which is analogous to our love relationship with God. That any relationship that is meaningful, fruitful, lasting, built upon and experienced in true love is pursued. Haven't you ever pursued anybody in love? We're called to pursue God. He said to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 29, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You're going to seek with all your heart and I'm going to be found. Psalm 27, the psalmist sought after the Lord and said, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I may seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. He was pursuing it. He was wanting it. In fact, he was panting after it. Psalmist wrote in Psalm 42, as a deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And what I'm saying we often do is misidentify in our daily lives the thirst for God, for a thirst for something else. Or we're at least just not careful enough to pay attention to the centripetal action of him trying to pull us in. And so we pursue all these other things. But the psalmist knew the resolve and said in Psalm 107 verse 9, for he has satisfied my thirsty soul. And that's what this text is saying. Nothing satisfies apart from Jesus Christ himself. I think one of the hurdles that we need to overcome in our modern culture is that there are so many other opportunities to satisfy that we really need to believe that Jesus is better than them all. We need to experience that Jesus is better than them all. And I know that's a challenge. And I sit here with you saying, how? How do I experience more? But because it's a how and because it's a challenge doesn't mean we give up on it. The Christian life is a pursuit of God. And one of the things that I think drives us is that we are secretly fearful that we would be satisfied in a heaven without Jesus. And so we pursue Jesus in this lifetime. How do we know him? Well, the gospel makes a nearness, makes nearness with God possible. The Bible tells us about God. The sacraments, communion and baptism, help us experience the truth of God. Prayer brings us near to God. But obedience 
causes us to experience the goodness of God. We experience the goodness and the power of God when we obey. It's just the way it is. The commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. First John says, taste and see that the Lord is good, the psalmist said. How can we taste if we never obey? And in mission, we experience adventure with God. I don't know that I've ever had more fun in my life than when I'm on an adventure with God. But how can we go if we don't first experience that centripetal thing, which is followed by that centrifugal thing of going out? He's so much better than we think. He's so much better than I realize. His grace is so much bigger than I think we dare to imagine. And so together, let's just make sure that in the gospel, in the Bible, in the sacraments, in prayer, in obedience, and in mission, we're really pursuing Jesus. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for pursuing us. Thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you for being the one who breaks barriers, the barrier of sin, barrier of the just wrath of God, the barrier of the devil and death. You overcame them all, that we might live to know you. Lord, help us to know you more. Holy Spirit, identify in our lives now barriers that we have. Whatever they may be, self-condemnation, guilt, relationships, entertainment, whatever, Lord, you know what they are. Keep us from condemnation. Teach us about your grace. Give us a bigger glimpse of your glory and your beauty, Lord. Lord, we've tasted of you. It's made us more hungry still. Having drank of your person, we're, we're more thirsty still. Jesus, you are the one that satisfies. And yet we find ourselves longing for more of you. So be found by us, Lord. Prayer team is here. If you need help this morning with any of those barriers, Whatever you got to do to draw near to Jesus right now, it's a fine time to do that. Whatever you got to do, now's your opportunity to do that.